filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. You guys, my my uh, literally the last time I had any Cuervo at all. No, I don't believe you. All have. right. Okay, so um, this was God, this was like ten years ago, and I had five roommates at the time, so six people in the house. Five of us went out. The other guy was bartending that night, so he couldn't come out with us. So the rest of us go out. We all just drink hard, and then we come home, and it's like. 3.30 in the morning, and we've been, like, screaming at each other and in the living room acting like idiots, and he comes in after his bartending shift, and he uh, immediately starts drinking. He's telling us about how this woman was hitting on him his entire shift, and he, like, he had a girlfriend, so he got her to leave him alone. He was like, she was attractive, but I told her no, and, and I feel pretty good about being an upstanding human being. We're like, so let's celebrate. And he was like, all right. So he goes into the kitchen, and he comes back with six shots of Cuervo, and he's like, these are shots for self-control, which we all laughed at because <laughs> shots for self-control is already a completely ridiculous subject. So we all do the shots of Cuervo, and each each one of us individually did, where it was like the shot that put us over the edge, and so everyone went in different directions. Um, two of us went out the front door. I was one of the people out the front door um, thinking that we might throw up, and it was just good to be in a place where you could throw up, and it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, Two people took up the bathrooms on that floor of the house. I don't know what... I think the last person actually had to run all the way out into the backyard. He had to run entirely through the house, and he did throw up. Um, (laughs) But the shots for self-control involved several people either puking or very nearly puking immediately. Um, And so that is when I was like, you know what? I'm never going to drink Cuervo again. I'm not saying I'm never going to drink again. I'm saying this particular drink is toxic uh, and terrible for everyone. I'm never going to do this again. Are you sure that wasn't from, like, a, one of the American Pie movies or some other high school college? Uh, I would say that this this did happen in reality. Uh, it might be colored by booze uh, as far as the details, but I feel like the urge to vomit kind of cuts through, and then you're like, no, I know what's going on right now. I'm, I mean, you're ashamed of yourself, but... Uh, Are you sure you're not a character being played by Jason Biggs? I hope not. God, that would be depressing. Um, those and movies are note, bad. <laughs> and on that note, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Biggs, Anderson, and Ben Bromley. <laughs> We're all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and lots more. We've got a good show for you tonight. We're talking about D.C. United's playoff run so far. They are midway through the Eastern Conference semifinals. Not in a great position to advance, but there's still a chance. There's always a chance. Uh, We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's going on in the rest of the teams that are still alive in the playoffs. And we're going to preview the second leg of the Eastern Conference semifinals this Sunday 
in New Jersey. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? Well, I was drinking a pumpkin beer before it got spilled on the floor out of anger due to technology issues, and then I chugged the rest of it due to anger out of technology issues. So I'm about to crack open a Legend Oktoberfest, which I already know is a good and delicious beer. So I'm cracking it open now, taking a slug. <laughs> and screw you, technology. I, I also have a screw you, technology. Um I didn't know what. And I just spilled it on myself. <laughs> and I took everything. Um, yeah, so I was drinking a Deschutes Black Butte Porter out of Portland, Oregon. It's it's a pretty good porter. Screw that. Uh, I, but but I also had something else handy because I wasn't sure whether you guys would insist on on uh, a particular sad tradition we have. Uh, given that it was United, not nearly bad enough. DC United had zero shots on goal, became becoming the first home playoff team to ever pull that off uh, in MLS playoff history. So I also have my mystery flask from from a couple weeks ago here. So salute. You should finish that and then fill it with something that is identifiable. Um, no, no, I don't think better. I will. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so I went out to dinner and came home like pretty much as we were supposed to start recording. Um, and so Which I, was an hour ago, just to be clear. Yes, we have, we are late. Um, I did not have... I have to run the dishwasher. I didn't have a clean rocks glass or any sort of appropriate um, whiskey or bourbon glass to make a drink out of. So I went in the fridge and found that the only cold beer that I had was also the highest quality beer that I, I have in the house. So I'm drinking... Um, uh, Hoyt Brewery's Delirium Nocturnum. It is arguably my favorite beer in the entire world. Uh, it has an elephant uh, falling into the <laughs> void uh, on the label, so it tells you. I I had some drinks at dinner. You know, you can judge me if you'd like. But honestly, if you're listening to this show and now after what are we on 155 episodes, 155. Yeah, if you're judging me only just now, I don't know what's wrong with you, and I'm judging you. Uh, so if you judge me, you've already been judged by me from the past, because when you're hearing this, it will be in the past. This but, is a very uh, belligerent edition of what delirium, are you drinking. Yes, Delirium term is awesome, and if you find it, uh, you should buy it. It comes in a, a bottle that's been painted gray with black speckles. That's a good transition to soccer. Uh, it was a, a big, long week for, for DC United, one on Wednesday. Driving back out around uh, with a behind victory over the legal revolution 2-1 uh, to reach the Eastern Conference semifinals, where, like I said earlier, they're now midway through a two-like series with the Hedgehogs. Um, Metros took the first half after that. All people scored on a set piece, um, while, while DC United had a few chances but couldn't at all bring to save their damn lives. Uh, these two games represented very different performances for DC United. Jason, uh, what changed from Wednesday to Sunday that that explains the, the difference between the team that came out and was, were deserved winners against New England and the team that were deserved losers against the Bulls? Well, I think a major thing that changes is that because the Red Bulls play such a high press all the time, uh, United chose to play long ball and if you if you in a vacuum that 
succeeded in the primary aim of making the Red Bulls play a different game from they normally do. Um, they normally will high-press everyone, but if you play long ball over and over again, there is nothing to press, so it, you just can't, so you don't. Um, and in the uh, in the concept, of, in the theoretical realm of making your opponent play a different way, it did, because it, it meant New York couldn't press. But soccer isn't theoretical. It's not about... Uh, making your opponent play a different game. It's about winning the game. And United did make New York stop pressing, but it did. United did not succeed in making New York play a game they were uncomfortable with. Um, now, the Red Bulls deserve some credit for being able to adjust to a plan that they... I mean, they're not used to playing any other way, and they adjusted to it, and they succeeded at what they were trying to do. Um, even if McCarty doesn't score on the free kick and it ends 0-0, I think the Red Bulls are perfectly happy with that result to take back home. Um, so I think they they got what they wanted, even though they had to change their plans. Uh, but I think the the long ball dependence is entirely the difference between the two games. United completed, I think it was 54% of their attempted passes because of yeah, the number of long balls that were played. Um, there were um, some passing graphs that came up after the game that just underlined the lack of an attempt to play constructive soccer. It was just purely hoof it upfield and hope for the best, um, which if they had done a better job of executing that plan would have been on a level, on some level acceptable because at least you're winning the game against a team that is. And let's be honest, the Red Bulls are a better soccer team than DC. The, the standings reflect that over a full year. Um, I think we can accept that that's the reality of it. So United has to do something to throw New York out of their game. New York, United can't just come out and say, we're going to focus on us and do what we're great at, and New York can just adjust to us because United isn't good enough to make New York. I mean, you can do that, but you're going to lose. You're nine times out of ten, maybe 99 times out of 100, you're going to lose playing that way. So United had to do something. And playing long looks good in theory, but you've got to do a little more to make it work. And I think a lot of times what we saw was Sabrio and Spindola worked hard to win or at least make the header something that could be turned into something fruitful as a second ball, but no one was there to support. Um, New York deserves some credit for it, – it's kind of a structural issue. The, the long balls have to be supported from – you have to have someone from the midfield in that situation coming up to help support and win the second ball. Um, New York pushed high enough up that the midfielders had to stay home a little bit, and United's fullbacks weren't in a position to step up into the midfield and help give De Leon and Rolf the freedom to step forward and be those other options underneath when these knockdowns happened. Um, and so the Red Bulls were in a better position to win a lot of the second balls from these knockdowns, and so the long ball strategy doesn't really work. It, it does stop New York from pressing you, but that's all it does. And you can't win a soccer game when all you, you when you stop one thing, it's great, but you've got to do more than that. Um, stopping someone from pressing you doesn't help you score goals, um, and you end up with a pers- uh, passing percentage that's just you know horrific. Um, and I feel like the game got worse as the as it went on. Um, after McCarty's goal, United had no, not just no like tactical response, but also no emotional response. It just seemed flat. It just seemed like the goal went in, and it was like they didn't heads went drop. down. Yeah, they they didn't they didn't drop off completely. It wasn't like in Columbus when Columbus got the second goal and United just 
died right on the field, and then there was half an hour to play, and you lose 5 nothing. Um, it wasn't that bad, but they were able to, to, to find the, the fight to defend some more, but they weren't able to find enough to turn it into anything more, and the Red Bulls deserve some credit. They really killed the game off effectively. Um, I think it does go, it does point to Jesse Marsh's qualities as a coach right now that they were prepared to win this way. I think that they saw the long ball game coming. Um, they weren't, it, it did make them adjust, but they weren't surprised that they had to adjust. Um, this was something they probably worked on in training. They said, look, we should expect long balls in this game uh, more than normal, and we should be aggressive in winning them, aggressive in winning the second ball even if it means we don't get the press like we normally do. And they looked ready for that. Um, and United didn't really have anything beyond that. It seemed like it was a a strategic thing that if this didn't work, there just wasn't much else. At halftime, I actually felt okay about the game. I thought United might be able to squeeze something out of it. Um, but when they when New York scored and then, I mean, the Spindola had a pretty good look at goal within 15 seconds of the next kickoff, that was it. That was the only mm-hmm. pushback, um, and there was like a good 17, 18 minutes, including stoppage time, of just nothing that came after that was really discouraging. Yeah, it it was. Uh, the first half was fine, especially very early on. United came out early, had several shots, none of them on target, of course. Um, but they Sabarillo, they, yeah, United was, came out a... and actually pressed. And then when it's like when that goal didn't come in that first 20 minutes. United didn't get the adrenaline boost to to get them through the rest of the game, and then halftime came, and their heart rate slowed down, and that was that was kind of it as far as yeah our our use of the ball, uh, which which was discouraging. Um, but it, it is what it is. We're still alive. It wasn't a bad loss by any means. One nothing at home is not insurmountable, even in the in- the the haunted house that is Red Bull Arena right now. Well, and I would say, like, of all the teams in the playoffs, United was the team in le- the least position to give up an away goal and lose. Um, mm-hmm. because of Not because Red Bull Arena is some terrifying place to play, but because United scored nine goals in 17 road games in yeah. MLS this year. Um, and that supersedes any, like, the game could be at the Pombinera against the the most angry Boca Juniors fans of all time, uh, and it wouldn't matter. I would still be more concerned about the fact that United just doesn't score goals on the road. Um, and the last time they scored more than one goal on the road was in April. Um, now, it was against Vancouver, and that's all well and good, but it was a 10-man Vancouver Whitecaps. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a team with 11, and uh, I think there were some, there were some, some things that happened in this game that make me think that reputation is starting to catch United. United, on paper, looks like a well-behaved team. They had, I think it was the second lowest number of yellow cards, and they were one of the only teams with only one red card all season. Um, but And the, the, today we, we got to see some of the, um, the, the MLS award nominees, and United was not on the Team Fair Play Award, and I know full well why, because everyone in the league knows that this team, despite dodging yellow cards, does not play polite soccer. This is not a, 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 a team of um, eight, 1880s gentlemen, um, you know, uh, going out of their way to be polite. Um, this is a mean-spirited team, and I feel like that reputation might have caught up with United a little bit. Um, Fodis Bazakos had a bad game uh, as a referee, in my opinion, in, in both directions, but 
I think more of the calls he missed uh, happened to benefit the Red Bulls. I don't think there was any uh, conspiracy in place. I just think he missed a few things that they got away with um, on the Red Bulls' side of the ball, and I think it's partially because United is, I mean, they're kind of mean to everyone they play, and sometimes when you're mean to everyone, including the referees, sometimes you have to suffer. And this this struck me as a game where their reputation preceded them, and Bazakos came in with a certain mindset that uh, the Red Bulls were the upstanding team and the and United was not. And thus he was going to call it from that perspective. And um, I don't think they had the, the main, that doesn't address the main controversy of the Zubar non red card, but I think it does address some other stuff that happened in the game that went uncalled or under punished. Yeah. The referees were actually um, got, got some attention after both of United's games this week. Obviously there was Zubar's non red card, uh, which the disciplinary committee apparently looked at and decided, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, you can attempt to break Marcus Halstead's leg. It's fine. Yeah, you can go in to the point that you basically racked yourself on his ankle, and he's very lucky to still have an ankle. But that's okay. You got the ball first, so so we're we're good with the yellow there. Um, and then then obviously in the the last game, Bobby Boswell got suspended after the fact for sticking his knee out in front of Juan Aguidello's glass. Yes hamstring and um i do i do want to say i thought this that suspension was fair and i suspected yeah, I, as much i i think game. that there's it's just when you launch yourself like like zubar did at yeah. somebody you deserve a punishment and yeah. i only, i don't even think i honestly in in my heart of hearts i don't think united would have turned the man advantage into anything i think they would have lost one nothing as is it's not about this playoff game, it's just about the general lack of consistency from the referees and from the disciplinary committee. That should have been a red card, and if you're not going to give it, it should have been given as a suspension afterwards because it's dangerous. It's a dangerous tackle in which you could you could put Halsey in a hospital. You could end his career like right. with a tackle like um, that. And, you know, I walk around with an ankle that doesn't look – one of my ankles doesn't look like it's supposed to. Um, and it's partially because of bad tackles like that. Uh, so for me, when I see Halstead go down from that tackle, it, it hits home. And all I can think is, like, how can this – this is, like, as straightforward as a suspension as you're going to ever see. And for them to not be unanimous – because that's the whole thing. The disciplinary is a three-person – it's a rotating committee, but it's three people, and they have to be unanimous for someone to get additional discipline. This one is, like – what more did he have to like punch Halsty as well while he was laying on the ground? Um, I think there are honestly there are some people of the disciplinary committee who will only act if the player who got fouled actually gets hurt. Like if Bob, if Agudelo doesn't get hurt, Boswell still he he plays in this game. There's no question. If if Agudelo didn't come off with an injury, um, right. Which he was going to get subbed out anyway, so the idea that this it, that that end, that ended his season is hilariously overwrought to me. But but yeah, it was it was something Boswell shouldn't have done. He knows he shouldn't have done it. Yeah. He said as much. He apologized to Aguidello. He got suspended and he took it like a grown up. Uh, if Halstead had gotten hurt, I think the disciplinary committee would have been much more likely to act. 
but that's not the way it's supposed to work. If you no, endanger someone, sometimes yes. they actually do get hurt. Sometimes they come right. out of it okay no. by the grace of God. Paul C. got lucky that his ankle is fine, or at least fine enough. You know, He could still be receiving treatment and wraps and whatnot for what happened. He just happened to run it off because it was in the middle of a game and your adrenaline's pumping and it's you know you can get through it. Um, right. But he could have he could have easily ended up with you know one of these replays that people are like, please don't show me any of these replays or gifts because I don't it's going to make me sick to my stomach to see it. It could have that could have easily been one of those tackles. Yeah. And it's because Zubar it's not that Zubar wanted to hurt anyone. I think he really wanted to get the ball and I think he really believed he could get there. But he launched himself at the ball in such a way that he endangered his opponent. And yeah, that, at that point, he, it doesn't matter. If he, Jesse Marsh says, I don't think it was even a foul because he got the ball. It's like, that doesn't matter if you, if I think, you go through a player. Right. Like, what Marsh said was that you could make that argument, and then he thought that the yellow was fair. Um, but the the yellow was not fair. He endangered his opponent, and that's that's like spelled out in the rule book. Endangering your opponent and potentially injuring your opponent through – whether it's intent, whether it's just recklessness, whether it's you know just being ignorant of where your opponents are, none of that enters into it. Intent doesn't matter. What matters is how how much danger you've created for your opponent. And Marcus Holstey was nearly sent to the hospital. So how is this not a suspension? Also, if you are listening to this and believe that if you get the ball, that means you can't commit a foul, please just refresh yourself on the rules before coming back and listening to the rest of this podcast. Yeah, because you can get the ball, the the ball, and still get a red card. There's, there's yeah, getting the exactly. ball does not matter. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it used to be like, yeah, in like the 70s and 80s, yes, you could get the ball and it just absolved you of everything. But thankfully, we stopped doing that because it turns out injuring attacking players with murderous tackles is a bad for soccer. Um, and <laughs> the 1990 World Cup, the lowest scoring, most negative World Cup in history, um, one of the only times FIFA got things right in the last. 50 years was saying, like, wow, that sucked. Um, we should try and promote not that. And, you know, this is one of those things. Like, I I just I can't believe that the refereeing crew saw that and didn't give a red, much less that the disciplinary can Once it got into the hands of the disciplinary committee, I, I even told you guys earlier today, I thought it was a 60% chance he got suspended. Um, and that was it. Because the disciplinary committee is erratic, and it happens all year long. We see tackles that if you had done it in week 14, you would have been suspended. But if you do it in week 16 and the thing rotates and different people come in, it's, oh, that was fine. But, like, this one wasn't fine. This one shouldn't have been fine to anyone. No one should be like, well, that's okay. Jesse Marsh shouldn't have said that that was a, the yellow was a fair tackle. That wasn't a fair tackle for anyone anywhere. Um, It was a crazy tackle. And like I said earlier, I don't think it would have changed the scoreboard and I don't think it would help United win. In all honesty, Zubar has been kind of a liability for New York, and him getting suspended and replaced by Carl Met doesn't really weaken the Red Bulls that much. I don't think it really changes. It doesn't. This isn't about competitive, uh, the competitive side of it of winning this series. This is just about like right and wrong. Like that tackle is terrible. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? 
Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. So yeah, I think the biggest thing that uh, DC United missed with uh, Chris Pontius being out is actually that it forced Chris Rolfe to be moved back to uh, left midfield, and uh, it brought Alvaro Sabaria, uh back onto the forward line. I think at this point, at, at least at this point of this season, Alvaro Sabarillo is best deployed as a uh, super sub. I don't think he's had enough time to integrate with the rest of the team, and uh, enough... Uh, play to really justify his starting. Uh, and Chris Rolfe has basically proved at this point that he has to be on the forward line. He is – him on the forward line is more important than Avaro Sabaria being in there and him on the in the midfield. So I think playing Miguel Aguilar, playing Connor Doyle, playing – anybody else in the midfield to keep Chris Rolfe on the forward line is preferable to uh, Avaro Sabarillo starting on the forward line and Chris Rolfe being in midfield. And that is what Chris Rolfe, uh, Chris Pontius being out. That, that's what happens when Chris Pontius is out. It forces Ben Olsen to make all these decisions and it just cascades badly from there. See, I, I, I wonder the, because I think, United was intending to play long ball anyway. I think Sabrio ends up starting this game for somebody. Um, Pontius's injury just made it straightforward who to choose to take out. I do agree with you that United was worse off because as much as Sabrio has scored some goals for United, he re- he's only been effective as a starter once or twice out of like seven or eight starts, I think it is. Um he's really struggled to impact games in which he isn't coming off the bench and fighting off tired. And he, al- and he also struggled starting for RSL this year. Right. And, and part of that, like I'm willing to write that off to a certain extent because RSL was bad this year. And um, they, they were in the middle of, of a formation switch that was aborted like three different times before they finally bought into it too late. Um, right, right, right. But it's it's just compounding both of those together. It just makes me wish that they had just not bothered. Even with the long ball, right. having Chris Rolf and Fabiano Spindola, it's a weird formation. You don't think it should work, especially not for long ball, but they end up finding a way together. They do. But I, I think in that case, you just you don't do long ball. You just try and find a different way to play around the pressure. Um, right. And I do think there's something to be said for – United just finding a way to play out of pressure other than long ball. Um, we know that Taylor Kemp is not consistently technical enough to get it done, but he has it in him. Um, anyone that can cross uh, like he does also has the ability to just reliably make passes. He just has to make decisions faster. 
and get the ball off his foot faster under pressure because when he does that, he's going to be fine. It's just that under pressure, he has tended to hold the ball for one extra touch for whatever reason. He freezes up, and, um, for example, Columbus scored a goal via him losing the ball at his feet when he really shouldn't have. Um, Franklin, I think, is technical enough to play in a style where he, he's playing out of the back. Um, I think this is a an issue with this team that they're a little too cautious and a little too worried about what what can go wrong. Um, and this is one of the ways that, that it happens. We've seen the team, we've seen United go forward and score on teams once they've been forced to. And we've seen, you know, the reputation for United is this this awful destructive soccer team that never plays good soccer under any circumstance, but that we know that that's not true because we've seen games where they've played really good attacking soccer and they've scored goals. It's not just that they've scored a lot of goals. They've scored it from playing quality soccer. Um, They're capable of playing better. I think, I think there's a little bit too much caution um, from the bench and, and from the players themselves. I mean, from a certain, at a certain point, it's on you if you're on the field making these decisions. Um, and I think maybe there's just a, uh, a culture of, of caution that's, that's sort of forcing United into a ceiling where, yes, they can win games during a regular season, but at a certain point you've got to be able to do a little more. And I don't think the way they played this year, I don't think it's capable of much more. Um, it is, they are capable of going to Red Bull Arena and winning one nothing because – the way they play is designed to win one nothing theoretically on on a on a chalkboard um in a classroom if you were teaching a DC United course i don't know what school that would be um but if you did that one nothing would be the kind of win that this team would be designed to have on the road and that's kind of where we're going you haven't noticed uh i'm i'm now taking over for adam who has been kicked off for internet problems um but with the second leg approaching uh there, there are some issues United's going to have to deal with. The first one really that comes to mind is that knowing this Red Bulls team, knowing that they've tried to press home and away against just about everyone they've played against, um, it's in all likelihood they're going to come out looking to press and score early. United makes it an easy decision by having given up uh, roughly about 300 goals in the first five minutes of games this season. I think 300 is accurate. Ben, I don't know if that's a precise number, but I feel like it's about being about 300. Um, three, three to 400. Right, three, three or 400 goals in the first five minutes of games this season. So there's nothing stopping the Red Bulls. There's no reason for them not to come out and press and press and press. Really press more even than like a Peter Vermes Kansas City team would have done at, the, at their their most aggressive. Um which means that United has to do something about that. And we saw in the first leg that the long ball strategy, it might take, it might take them out of playing long ball or by uh, playing high pressure, but it's not going to win you a game. Um, the Red Bulls dealt with the long balls pretty comfortably all game long. Part of the issue being that if you, even if Sabrio dominates the center backs, it still means someone's got to be there to win the knockdown. And the Red Bulls won those second balls more than United did. Um, they're going to have an extra man in the midfield, so they've got that advantage. Um, so their question for Ben Olsen becomes, what do you do to deal with what's going to be an onslaught of pressure in the early stages to get out of, to, to escape that without giving up a goal? Because 
let's be honest, this is a team that scored nine goals in 17 road games. one nothing on the road is feasible. Uh, 2-1 starts to look pretty ridiculous uh, if you need that to happen against the best home team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you're you're in deep trouble. Um, United's already in deep trouble. Uh, I don't think I don't think we're under any illusions. But um, my thought for United, as far as dealing with the press, has to be: you've got to find a way to play a little higher up the field, and and you've got to roll the dice. Um, I think if United's going to get through this second leg and advance to the conference final, we're going to see very early on. They're going to either if they start sitting back and it's a, it just Let's defend in a shell and hope for the best. It's not. Uh, one of the keys to the game that I actually put out was win the set piece battle. And here we are with the only goal of the game being a set piece scored by New York because United failed on a set piece. Um, I don't think United is going to cause New York enough trouble on attacking set pieces to get back in the game that way. They can't rely on that as, like, we'll just keep it 0-0 and score on a set piece. Um, I think they have to give New York something to worry about going forward. They have to press New York a little bit. They've got to give them a reason to not just push up. Um, There has to be some reason for New York to have some fear, basically. Um, And the way that, other than the first hour of the game, the the regular season game at RFK, the 2-2 draw, other than the first hour of that game, DC has not given New York anything to fear going forward. And I think it, it's got to happen now. It, it can't be let's push and keep it close. And then the last half hour, try and snatch something because I think in the last, if, if, if United wants to wait half uh, 60 minutes to attack, they're going to be down a goal at, at best down a goal. And then you've got to score two and United's not equipped to score two goals on the road, even against New York minus uh, Damian Perrinelle. Um, even with, with that situation, um, I just don't see two goals. And I think this is a team that has to get the away goal and they've got to be, they've got to get it first. They have to score the first goal of this game. If they're going to go through, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, maybe they want to throw up, maybe Ben Olsen wants to throw up a different lineup at this point. I mean, his 4-4-2 has been fine for most of the year, but it obviously has not been fine against the New York Red Bulls at all this year. So I was just thinking about that while you were, while you were talking and maybe he wants to throw out like a, uh, a Bob Bradley style 4-2-2-2 and have uh, kitchen, kitchen and Halsey and then, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 Rolf and uh, De Leon and then some forwards. I don't know. I, I didn't think it I It sounded better it's in my reaction. head. It's fine. No, you're reacting. But, but, but it, 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 like having Rolf and Espindola high and having maybe like uh, De Leon and Aguilar in the, in the middle two, something like that. I don't know. But having some, a different look than what – DC United has thrown out all year because DC United has played the Red Bulls, what, five times this year now, four times this year. And they've thrown out the four, four, two every time and they've lost every time. And so the, as the popular adage goes, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing every time and expecting a different result. And the four, four, two is just not going to work, especially without Davey Arnaud. If we had Davey Arnaud, then maybe because Davey Arnaud in central midfield, 
is it's it's proven by now. He is a difference maker for this team, and DC United is a different team without Davey Arnaud in central midfield. And so he's obviously not going to be back. He's even if he has recovered from his concussion, he's not going to be fit enough to play. And so United has to try something else. They have to try. I mean, they're not going to, but they should try a four-two-three-one. They should try a four-two-two-two-two. They should try something different to try and throw the Red Bulls off their game, try and crowd the central midfield and win it off of passing and not off of long balls, which, as you've said, long balls are not going to win this game for them. So they've got to try something different. Yeah, I I agree. And, and the thing is, as much as the four four two is, the, t- the team is built to play this way. But not with the injuries they currently have. And and I I've got to say like Arnaud's absence. Um, you know my, my one of my friends Brian, who may or may not be listening. I think he listens to like fifty percent of our podcasts. Um, he brought it up at the game. He said, you know, this team is missing something, and and what they're missing is just someone who's just a jerk. Um, and we let it sit, and then about five minutes later, I reached for it because he was standing in front of me because uh, section two thirty two is kind of not organized. It's like general admission, sort of, uh, at least the half of it that I stand in. So you end up in a different place every week. Um, and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, this team is missing Davey Arnaud. And I I identify with Davey Arnaud because when I've, when I've played uh, in serious games in the past, I kind of play like Davey Arnaud. I'm the guy that everyone on the other team wishes was dead after the end of the game. Um, and United needed somebody that was going to be ang- not just – like driven to change the game, but they needed somebody that was angry uh, that that the game was going the way it was at, at one nothing. And I think they also to to make the four four two work, they need that in, in road games as well. They need to have that edge, and it's not there. Halsty, this isn't really a criticism of him, but it's not in him to be that guy. He's not the uh, abrasive sort of player. He plays, I, I believe. Um, one of our writers on the site, Touchline, has referred to him as the Zen master. Um, he's very relaxed. It's very much a um, – he's a, he's a calm player. He loves to get his head up and open the game up, and that's good. But there are times where what you don't – what you need is not a Zen master. You need someone that's furious. And United doesn't have that. It wasn't there throughout the team. And I don't think that even, – even if he magically was okay to play an hour – uh, in this game, which he's not going to be because of the amount of time he's been unable to train, he's not going to be able to play. If if we hear that Arnaud can even travel to this game, which is already doubtful, he'll be able to play like 20 minutes tops if we're being realistic. Yeah. Um, United needs to do something else to change, change the game. Um, the Vancouver game we referred to before was one where Michael Farfan played uh, ahead of a defensive midfielder and – United made it work by having uh, – when they pushed into a defensive position, they had Chris Rolfe drop off the front line, Farfan stepped up a little higher, and they played a line of four ahead of Perry Kitchen. And, and Fabian Espindola, I believe, or Luis Silva, I can't remember, was left on his own up front. Um, and hey, it, 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 confused, it confused Vancouver because they were expecting a 4-4-2 – and then they saw the lineup sheet and they said, well, it's still a 4-4-2. It's just, you know, it's a 4-1-3-2 instead of a flat 4-4-2. And then when they got on the field, it wasn't even that. It was a it was a 4-1-3-2 going forward. And then defensively, it was a 4-1-4-1. One, one. 
And I think I'm, United – I agree with you, Ben. United has to do something to catch – they have to do something. The, the long ball strategy clearly didn't throw New York off enough. I think United has to change their formation for this game to cause New York more confusion. They have to do something to make this other – the game other – New York has a game in mind. It can't be that game. This game has to and be I, something other than what New York expects. And I think Ben Olsen would be starting Michael Farfan or at least using him in these playoffs because we have evidence that Ben Olsen likes Michael Farfan. I think he's just more injured than we initially thought he was going to be. Right. And it was one of those like, oh, it's it's just a little tiny groin thing. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, and then he and, doesn't even make the he didn't even make the bench. Like we know that. Right. Olsen would rather play Farfan than Facunda Coria, and Coria made the bench against Farfan did not. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's not because Ben Olsen doesn't like Michael Farfan. If there are any of you conspiracy theorists who are thinking that, that's not the case. It's that Michael Farfan is more injured than than we thought he was going to be. And so that's why he's not playing. And because of that injury, he's probably not going to play. He's he's definitely not going to start against the New York Red Bulls. He may get some time, but he's not going to start, and that sucks because I, he could he could make a difference if he were fully fit and ready to play 75 minutes. I do. At, at least I, to provide I, something different. Yeah, and I, I I really hope, let's say tomorrow Farfan is at training and they say, how much can you give on the weekend? And he says, I think I could do up to 45 United's in a position where yeah. you. I would say if he can give forty-five minutes, you start him. You try and do something. You try and make the game happen in the first forty-five, and then you deal with subbing him out after that. I don't think this is a situation where United can afford to wait. I think they have to, in the first half of this game, do something. They've got to get a goal. They've got to change the tenor. They've got to get the Red Bulls off of their game. It has to happen in the first half. If it's not after halftime, uh, or if they wait till after halftime, I think the Red Bulls are going to have run them down um, because of their high pressure at home. I think the United will be the more tired team. Um, I think the Red Bulls will be getting the game that they expect to have, which will make them feel a little more comfort- comfortable, a little more confident. Um, I think United from kickoff has to do something whether it's press New York back and, and roll the dice on who can be the better pressure team and just hope that it's such a surprise that the Red Bulls are just totally unprepared. Um, if it's that, then so be it. If it's a formation change, then that's good. But something has to be done um, to change the tenor of this because if it's just let's just do a better job of what we've always done, the Red Bulls are prepared for what we've always done, and the best version of that isn't going to surprise them or um, throw anything out, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, throw them off a little bit. Uh, I'm getting messages here that are important for the show. Um, Adam would like us to remember something that he was going to bring up. Um, It's our understanding that not too many people have necessarily jumped onto any of the available bus trips to this game, be it the Screaming Eagles bus, be it the Barabrava bus, uh, be it the Ultras and La Norte. Um, I believe it's only 60 bucks for the uh, the Screaming Eagles bus. I don't know the other prices off the top of my head. Um, but New York brought several hundred fans down to RFK. Um, wasn't, it, wasn't it like 800? 
I think they would like to say it was 800, but Maybe judging visually from the I think it was more like 400 or 500 at okay. the most. Right. Um, just judging from what I saw in the stands uh, up in the upper deck. Um, but if you can find a way to make it up to Red Bull Arena for this one, I mean, the team isn't going to win it uh, on their own. They're certainly going to need some kind of inspiration beyond what they can muster on their own. And looking up in the Red Bull Arena and seeing, a, you know, instead of like half of an away section full, maybe seeing one in one half uh, sections full, because I know Red Bull Arena has a contingency plan if you buy up. I don't know what section it is at, at on their seating chart that is the away section, but they, they are prepared to sell more, if I'm not mistaken, of the next section over. And even if there's not an away allotment, we're, we're speaking uninformed right now, um, it would be good for that entire section to be black rather than a bunch of jerk Red Bull fans uh, that are there for whatever reason, I guess self-loathing. Um, so if you can possibly get yourself on the bus, um, I know it's 3 p.m. A 3 p.m. kickoff means that it's basically your entire Sunday um, from start to finish because it's going to be about five hours on the bus either way. And then there's a game and then there's being kept in the stands after the game ends because they don't want uh, jerk Red Bulls fans to punch you in the face. Um, I understand all of that. I know it's a huge commitment, but if people can make it, um, the Screaming Eagles, Barra Brava, La Norte, the Distraltras, I'm sure that they would love to have you on their bus. Um, it is a pretty fun time uh, on the bus. I believe the only drinking restriction is like, don't throw up and don't bring bottles. So you're not breaking glass all over someone's bus. Um, let's, let's, let's not let the, let the, the, the contact yeah. them about drinking restrictions. Yeah, that's true. That's we true. I mean, don't I, pretend I, to know I, anything. Yes. I, I am speaking uh, off the top of my head as far as that goes. So I don't actually know uh, the rules that they have with the bus companies and maybe they have maybe each one of them has different rules that I don't know about. Um, I can say that, you are allowed to drink, at least on the Screaming Eagles bus. I've done that. Um, I drank out of a water bottle. I made myself a nice black Russian and then drank it uh, as I got closer to the stadium. It was a good idea. Um, if you want to be like me, you can make yourself a black Russian, put it in a cooler, and then once you get to, like, middle Jersey, you can down that thing real quick and you'll feel uh, ready to go. But you should get on the bus is, is the more important thing. Whether you drink or not, you should – find your way onto that bus to cheer for United against the stupid, uh, ugly, and terrible Red Bulls. And, uh, you know, you, you want they're, you want them to win. They're really the worst. They, they are, and, and they deserve the worst. And I feel like this would be the ultimate, you know, the fates pulling the rug out from under those stupid jerks by giving them a Supporter Shield winning, winning team and then letting them win on the road, and then they still screw it up. It would be the ultimate Betso Metro uh, reaction to the situation. Um, and, you know, if this game goes poorly, this is it for United. So if you want to see them play for the next, like, four months, you know, Red Bull Arena might be the only place you can go see them play in that, that time frame because otherwise, if things go poorly, they're out and it's over. So uh, we have been a uh, asked offline to uh, – to ask for some people to join the, the bus and we're glad to oblige. I think, I think I can speak for all of us by saying that, but uh, we're glad to help urge people. If you're listening to this and you have the ability on Sunday, if you're just otherwise going to sit around, you might as well get on the, get on the bus and go up to uh, Red Bull arena and scream at some people that you don't like and scream in favor of people you do like, 
or even if you don't like the team that much, if your negative negative feelings have extended now to the players of DC United, you can still scream at them, and it'll kind of sound the same at that distance. It sort of all blends together, I imagine. You just see people screaming at you, and you assume that they, they like you. That's what I would do. Uh, so if you can, contact one of the supporters groups, get on their bus, um, go to Red Bull Arena. You know, if you're familiar with the Chappelle show – you can treat it like uh, Eddie Murphy's white suede couch and you just have some muddy boots and you want to stomp Red Bull Arena with your muddy boots because, you know, those guys are jerks. They don't deserve a nice stadium. They deserve the worst stadium and they don't have one and it's, that's already bad enough. So if nothing else, your motivation should be Red Bull Arena is too nice for the Red Bulls and that alone should drive you to ruin everything. Though if you do ruin physical objects, do not blame it on the filibuster podcast. That's your doing. You did that. We take no responsibility for no. your actual physical actions. No, if you start breaking seats and, and vandalizing things, you're on your own. We're not going to help you, and we're not going my, to provide legal advice. Even, my, our, my, even my, me and bad legal advice is not coming your way. My actual legal advice, which I'm not a lawyer, is that you should not <laughs> break things. No, stop short of breaking things. Just yell. You, know, you can yell a lot without getting in trouble, especially yeah. in a soccer game. People are willing to let you yell more than they would in public. Um, so save up all your, your, you know, the vitriol you might build up at work um, this week. Maybe your boss is dumb or, or a vendor that you have to deal with is, is terrible. Save it all both up. Of those, both of those things are probably true. Right. Bottle it up. Keep it inside. And then on Sunday, unleash it upon the people of northern Jersey and, and or the like two or three hundred of them that make the trip from New York City. Because despite what the Red Bulls might tell you, New York City, whether they like it or not, is actually blue. The Red Bulls are a North Jersey team, and don't let them tell you otherwise. Um, I guess, Ben, do you want to talk about the rest of the playoffs uh, briefly or no? Nah, no. not really. All right, I, I, I'll be the, very the, the, the LA Galaxy lost, and that was hilarious. That was hilarious because now it's going to result in major changes that will probably involve Steven Gerrard still being there and not doing anything, which is and that's awesome. And that's great. It's it's awesome, and it's also a completely unsolvable problem for Bruce Arena, who would be equipped to solve most problems as a coach, but a non-running central midfielder and in this day and age is pretty much not going to happen. Um, I guess the other playoff series, the thing that I, I, I really like uh, the looks of the Dallas-Seattle game, I think that game's going to be – the second leg is going to be fantastic because yeah. Yeah. Dallas – you know, D- Dallas is used to playing on the counter. They've got to come out and score at least one goal. Um, and I don't think Seattle is equipped to just go in and win one nothing. I think they're aware of that. So I think we're going to see two teams really going for it. That might be – and we're probably cursing it by saying it. And I say we as if this is Ben's fault. But I feel like that's the one that's going to be the ridiculous, you know, you know 6-5 or what have you. If there's any series that's going to end with insanity, that's the one – um, I think uh, Montreal did give themselves a chance, but on the other hand, that one might get interesting too because Columbus hasn't really defended well all season. They've solved their problems by scoring goals. Yep. So um, the impact might still need to go on the road and score one or two away goals if they want to go through. I do – out of all of them, I think that Montreal I, – I kept hearing over the weekend that – or not over the weekend, but over Monday that – People kept saying that the road or that the home teams did the job. They're like, oh, the home teams got the job done. Like, 
2-1 is not a good aggregate scoreline. It's like the bare minimum of acceptable scorelines. Also, also allowing a road road goal is pretty bad right. when you only right. win by one goal. Right, and, and so there are two teams that won 2-1. There was a 0-0 draw, and there was a one nothing loss. I don't think any of those are the home team really getting the job done. Um, in nope. a couple of cases, they're the home team barely getting reaching the minimum standard. That's about it. Um, I think that the higher seeds are all in a good position. Um, maybe Dallas and Columbus are in less good condition. I think Dallas is more likely to go through than Columbus. I think Montreal, because of Drogba, um, because of Columbus's naive. Uh, I've said Columbus is naive all year. I sort of took it back when United had to play them, and then look what happens. They end up giving up a goal via Michael Parkhurst getting stripped of the ball by Johan Venegas, who it wasn't like Venegas had help. It was just Venegas by himself was like, hey, I'm pressuring you a little bit. And Parkhurst well, and, just froze and up they, and lost the ball. And they should have had another they should have had another opportunity, but Drogba fouled Farfan because <laughs> Farfan was just tiny compared to Drogba. And well, 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 actually fouled him. Right, uh, but that's you know that'll happen to anyone that's that's a giant man. I, I that's something I wish was a problem for me because it would have made, probably made me a center back instead of a undersized midfielder who's too slow. Um, but, I, I basically, like, have, right? Um, and, and I I think Montreal with their attacking ability with Drogba is going to be caused. I I think they're still in a decent spot, but I still I feel like two one is not getting the job done even for them. No. Um, but, uh, the other, the other, uh, series, the Portland Vancouver series, that one is probably going to come down to one goal, given that Portland, despite their reputation of being this positive attacking team, Portland's actually been very conservative and negative for most of the season until very recently when with their season on the line, Caleb Porter decided to go all in on, uh, a crazy attacking lineup where Darlington Nagby is his, you know, second most defensive minded midfielder in a midfield trio, um, which sounded almost borderline suicidal, but it did result in some good soccer and they've gotten the job done so far. Um, the trip to Vancouver is going to be tough because the white cap, the white, the white caps are interesting. They have the worst home record of the playoff field, but on the other hand, they're also one of the best defensive teams uh, in the entire league. So Portland's kind of in a, in a weird spot where, on one hand, it's a team that doesn't really do the job at home as, as much as they should. But on the other hand, they're a team that just doesn't give up many goals. And if Vancouver scores one, uh, Portland's going to be in trouble, especially if, Portland, if Vancouver shuts down Fernando Adi. I think Adi's goal total is like 45 to 48% of Portland's goals. Yeah. He had 16 and Portland had like 35. I don't – I still can't – divisible, but it's close to 50%. I still can't believe that Kendall Waston is actually now a good defender. I just keep remembering him being like a terribly hot-headed and impulsive fouling and giving up big chances defender, and I can't believe that he's yeah. now actually talented. It is it is strange to watch the, the player that was in the Champions League and it was just basically a giant madman um, running around and hoping that his collisions will just end in beneficial outcomes. Um, I guess, I guess over his last year in Costa Rica, he started calming down a little bit. Carl Robinson has probably taught him to do some stuff that is not just 
smash into people because you're a giant and uh, hope that that works and, uh, well enough. He's like, you can't just be a giant and that's enough. You have to do other <laughs> stuff. Um, but he's been very good. Uh, Tim Parker has been very good. Uh, once he, yeah. well, it's been weird because him and uh, Pamo Duka have sort of switched the job off over and over again. Um, Ka, I think he is healthy, or healthy-ish, healthy enough to play anyway. Um, but I guess Robinson has finally decided that with the season online, he's going with Parker, which is probably a good idea because even if Parker's best isn't as good as Ka's best, Parker's worst is nowhere near as bad as Ka's worst. Ka's worst is like the worst center back in the league because he'll have games where he just literally doesn't know what he's doing. And then three days later, he'll be fine. Um, so I don't know what's going on with him. He's, He's his own. He's his own little uh, world. I don't. Special snake-like. Right, but you can't afford to have Waston and Ka in the same team. I don't think in, in no. the end. And so, um, Vancouver. I I feel like Vancouver is going to end up coming out of that one. I think. Really, the only the the only home team I have doubts about is Columbus uh, at this point, and I hate to say that because that means that the Red Bulls probably are in a good position, but. We've seen United's trips up there, and it didn't go well either time. They got where it, it was kind of games where two nothing and three nothing flattered United rather than being indicative of the situation. Um, but yeah, I think we could see a Red Bulls Montreal conference final on this side, and then on the out west, um, Vancouver versus Dallas. I think that would be. I think I would rather see Vancouver versus Dallas. I feel like um, the amount of speed. And skill on those teams would be very fascinating to watch. And also, Oscar Pereja and Carl Robinson are two of the best coaches in the league. Um, I today, the day we recorded, so yesterday for you listeners, or you know, several days in the past, if you listen to us on like Friday or what have you, I don't know what your life is like. Um, but the the nominations came out uh, for the the various MLS awards and Coach of the Year involved. Oscar Pereja, Carl Robinson, and Jesse Marsh. Personally, I think Marsh's candidacy is totally overstated because uh, the Red Bulls are running off of a Ralph Rangnick um, Red Bull soccer organization playbook. I think Jesse Marsh has has even said he's been upfront about how he's sort of you need to credit Ralph Rangnick and and the guys at Once a Metro have covered this more than really really more than anyone in the English speaking media anywhere on the planet. Um, so if you want to know more about what they're up to as a organization, not just as a club, but as Red Bull soccer all over the world, their their pieces on Ralph Ball, as they've been calling it, uh, sum it up. Um, but the White Cat, also okay. Oh, also, Robles should not win any <laughs> awards for them either. I, I feel like Robles is firmly the fourth best goalkeeper in MLS, um, even though he was nominated to be one of the top three. Right, but uh, you know. This year we've seen some, you know, Mike Grella is Mike Grella has ended up ahead of David Villa as newcomer of the year, which is insane. David Villa scored 17 goals on a team that is a, a trash fire. Um, yep, it's just an utter mess all around him, and he managed to score 17 goals. I think he got uh, a fair number of assists. I don't think he had that many, but it was enough. Um, he's done a lot more than Grella, who in my opinion, wasn't even like on the radar for newcomer of the year. Not that it's yeah. not a knock on Grella. I think he's done very well. He's been a surprise for the Red Bulls that he's done so well. He has no place being on a short list for that award. Um, but because the Red Bulls won the supporter shield, I, 
I guess there's just going to be an overemphasis on them. Um, personally, I think Pereja is probably coach of the year. He's um, got to be. Because he, they lost the shield on goal difference, and this is a team playing a bunch of kids. They've had massive injuries. Um, their, their fullbacks are Javon Watson and Ryan Hollingshead, who are career midfielders. Um, this was a situation where the Dallas was like, well, we don't have any healthy fullbacks that are specialists. So let's just convert these guys on the fly. Um, let's just do that and maybe it'll work. And maybe we'll also defend that back four with, uh, two Academy products that have like five starts collectively. Um, and then when Dan Kennedy got hurt, they were like, let's throw our 20 year old goalkeeper in. Let's, let's go for it. Why not? Um, and this team barely missed the supporters. They, They missed it by six goals scored. Um, so I think that Pareja has done a lot more with a lot less than the Red Bulls. I know the Red Bulls would love to tell people that they are the low budget club. They are, they really aren't. Uh, Gonzalo Verone is a good argument in and of himself as he cost them at least a million dollars. There are rumors that it's up to two. Um, Sasha question also acquiring him was a, a costly thing that the Red Bulls, they don't have to pay him. It's not a high salary, but it's a costly acquisition. Right. And uh, I mean, last year on DC United's ledgers, Fabiana Spindola only cost $150,000. And there was no way that that is how much money Fabiana Spindola got paid. So the MLS Players Union salary list is basically a bunch of nonsense. Right. And the thing is, there's public figures they're willing to give us and – it's important for anyone that ever wants – if you want to go look up this the, the, the numbers that are there, they're out there on the MLS Players Union website. But many multi, many players who formerly used to – like Taylor Twelman, for example, has indicated over and over again that the Players Union numbers do not reflect the actual pay that the players get, and it doesn't reflect the cap hit that the team has to pay, which are two different things. Um, generally speaking, the cap hit is somewhere between the guaranteed salary and the base salary, but with each player, none of us know, unless you, unless you know a player and have seen his pay stubs, you don't know either. Um, what if if you've seen his pay stubs, that doesn't mean that's what the cap hit is. Right. Basically, Um, unless, unless, unless that guy's getting paid, but not how much the team has to deal with it. Unless you're having breakfast with Don Garber, you probably don't know how much the cap hit is. Right, and and if you're Don Garber, you probably have better things to do than check over the salary cap uh, hit of each team. There's probably a guy whose job that is. Um, and I should probably know who that is, and I can't think of it. At, well, uh, it used to be Nelson Rodriguez, and now it's somebody right. else. Now, Nelson Rodriguez's job is to make sure the Chicago Fire are not a, an embarrassment to everyone uh, involved, which, you know, I – Personally, I'm okay with the fire being terrible because of the past. Um, and also because they only have one chant. Foyer? Foyer, foyer, foyer. Fire, fire, fire. I, I, I've used several variations insisting that they are really chanting about foyers. <laughs> and how it's a thing in a house. It's near the front door. And you greet people there. Um, but I can't remember them now. I can't remember the cadence. I, I no, I remember the cadence of the chant because fire, fire, the fire. But I can't remember the the way the words matched up with it. But it was funny, and you can probably find it online if you look hard enough. I'm not going to help you because this it has been kind of a ro- uh, a train wreck of a podcast. We lost Adam halfway through. Um, do we have oh, anything I- else? To- 
probably Go by ahead, the time ben. I it's probably by the time I edit this down, Adam won't even be in half of this episode. Right. Uh because we had multiple robo atoms, uh, and none of them were basically the problem is not that he's a robot, it's that we can't understand what the robot has to say. Um, so Ben is going to try and turn this into a Frankenstein episode that you could possibly understand. Um, it may work. He, he, I think at a certain point, he's just going to say, I'm going to put out whatever I'm going to put out. And that's that. Um, at which point you'll just have to piece it together, uh, as it were. What I might try and do is put this intelligible part at the beginning and then the part about <laughs> DC United that Adam was in at the end. And then if you want to stop listening because Adam is Robo Adam, then, well, that's up to you. So, so you might be listening to this at the, the beginning. I don't know what Ben's going to do because I don't have any authority <laughs> over him. Um, once we get off of here, I'm just, I, I kind of, I'm done. Uh, essentially, I, I the only other job I fill apparently is I I, I do save all of the episodes, um, and that may come up. We don't know. Um, Hopefully maybe, not, but maybe that may become a valuable uh, skill, uh, or or maybe not. But anyway, we should probably end it now because we're we really should have been done like an hour ago. Um, oh yeah, really? Yeah, like really an hour. Um, so we're gonna end now. I'm not even gonna ramble anymore. Uh, for the departed Robo Adam, uh, for Ben, uh, for anyone else you might have thought about that should have been on here that wasn't, this is Jason. Uh, uh, say goodnight, Ben. Good night, goats. Goats, not Ben.